Right. Yes, we are. Brilliant. All right. How's all that? Justin, is that all good? All right. Brilliant. Um, no, no, I've got water. I'm all good. Justin got that, yeah. Good morning. All ready to receive, hungry for the word? Good, good. Let's, let's open and pray and then we'll get straight into teaching. Hallelujah. Father, we just want to praise you. Lord, we lift you up this morning. We lift up your name. We thank you, Father God, that your word is alive and powerful. And we recognize that, that, that you want us to grow in understanding, and, uh, understanding of and walk in your word. So we come hungry this morning. We come ready to receive. We open our hearts to receive with meekness and to hear what you have to say to us. And we thank you, Father God, that your spirit is giving us understanding and revelation. Thank you for the Holy Spirit teaching each one of us as we sit under and as we hear the word of God. And I just thank you for utterance as well as we speak and as we teach the word. We yield to you, Lord. I don't, we don't want to just talk and speak the wisdom of man. We want to talk and speak the, by utterance of the Spirit of God and words that the Spirit of God is giving us and leading us to say so that it brings revelation to the heart. Hallelujah. So we just acknowledge you and we yield to you. We thank you that your Spirit is with us here in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, praise God. God's good. We're going we're gonna to be continuing. We're still talking about some things about the power of God. And, uh, you know, sometimes it's good just to keep at something. Yeah. And, and, and there's reasons for that. And, and, and you've got to build people's faith and just really explore a subject and meditate. One of the reasons sometimes people don't get a lot out of the Scriptures is because they're bouncing from topic to topic. Yeah. And they're going around so quickly that they don't ever get a hold of any of it, and none of it gets, gets transferred into their life and into their actions. Do you know, how many of you know when you went to school, are you glad you didn't learn your two times table on day one, your three times table on day two, your four times table on day five, and by the end of the week, you're supposed to know your 12 times table? Do you, do you realize that in school, even naturally, they spend time on it, they repeat, they go through it, and they'll say two plus two is, you know, two apples plus two apples is what? And you go, four, and okay, two, two bottles plus two bottles is what? And they drum it in and they build it in and they go, you know, even your ABCs, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, they go over and over and over again. Why? Because that's a big part of building it inside of you. And, and, and the Word of God works a lot like that as well. It's part of how God has set us up to learn and to, to grow in understanding. This is why repetition and staying on a subject. And, and you see, because there's so much teaching available on the planet these days, teachings of the Word, a lot of Christians are just feasting on everything and becoming established in nothing. And then they're wondering why nothing's working in their lives. And uh, it's important that we spend time digging in. I remember years ago, I was doing a lot of teaching on healing. And I'd been teaching about a year or two. We were doing every week, we were doing teaching on healing uh, at a place I was at. And a minister came to me. And, and he, he was, I was young. I was fresh out of Bible school. I was in my early 20s, young minister. And, and he, was, he was, you know, a lot older than me, had been in, years, in ministry for many years. And he said to me this, he says, I don't know how you can teach so much on the subject of healing. And he was, a word, he was in the word ministry, you know, and, um, and he said to me, he said, I'd teach three or four and run out of material. I thought that's really bad. But you see, 
It's one of the benefits of having been a Bible school teacher. I remember when I first started teaching in Bible school, we had to teach 24 lessons on a subject at some times, full-time school, 16 or 24. And, and, and I was, again, I was new, just starting out and teaching some things. And I, would, I, would, I had a topic. I didn't have a lot of content, so I'd be studying. I'd prepare it all. And I'd get to about lesson 8, 9, or 10 in the course, and I'd realize I've taught everything I know on that subject. And I've got another 14 lessons still to teach. <laughs> what do you do? <laughs> you start trusting God. God, you got to give me some more. You've got to help me see. You've got to open this up. You've got to help me to teach this clearer and to, to, to open up the word. But you see, it, it, it's easy to just bounce around from topics out of pressure to learn lots. And the mind gets hungry to learn lots, but the revelation in the heart doesn't settle in. And people get a hold of very little of it, and very little of it transfers into their lives. And they're on to the next topic by next week, and they're on to the next topic the week after. And, and you know, it's amazing. I've had the Spirit of God at times come to me and remind me of something he spoke to me about a year ago or six months ago, and something, something in the Word he showed me. Yeah. And I'm like, Lord, what, you know, show me something. And he'll say, well, this is what I put you on a year ago. And I'm like, oh, okay, I've kind of forgotten about that because I've gone through about 15 other things since then. Yeah. <laughs> All the things I wanted to learn. But sometimes there's times he wants to draw you in and really get, get a hold of something. And uh, that's why I don't rush things. And this is why we sit on something. And it's, it, there's nothing wrong with hearing it again. You know, people get bored in church if you hear the same thing again. Well, I, you know, you didn't get bored. Well, maybe you did get bored at school. But you didn't get bored at school when they, when they repeated it. And I'm really grateful my, my school teachers repeated things because it drummed it in. It built it in. There's things that have become automatic now. I've heard so many times. You don't have to, you, you don't have to say to me, two plus two is, and I go, oh, hmm. four. It's just it's an automatic response now. It's built in, isn't it? And actually, that's what we want. That's part of the goal of a teacher is to bring, bring you to the place where automatic response starts coming out in different areas. Yeah. And, and, and you don't have to sit and remind yourself for ages about what does the word say on this. But automatic responses started coming out about subjects because it's been built in so well into you. And you, don't, you, you reach a point where you face a crisis. You don't have to get someone else to remind you what the word says. It begins to rise up inside of you and you respond. Uh, but many Christians are not there, and they need someone else. See, I, 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 my job as a teacher is not done until you don't need me as a teacher because you've got a hold of some things, and, you, and, you, and they're just automatic responses in your life, and they're coming out, and you're acting and living in these things. Right. Amen? And, you, and you're applying them. Anyway, that was just a bit of, a bit of, bit of other stuff for, to start off with. So we're talking about the power of God, and we're continuing on this because it's a massive subject in the Bible. You know, the miraculous, we spend a lot of time talking about miracles. There's so much of it in Scripture. And, and I believe God is who the Bible says He is. And He does and can do and has done and will do what we see in Scripture. And, and, and in Scripture, the manifestation of the power of God and the miraculous means very real interventions of God in the natural world. And, and, and a lot of us, even though we see it to a degree, many of us have really walked in it and, and, and experienced it to the degree that's in Scripture. But, but God doesn't give us these examples to say to us, well, you can't have it and it's never going to happen. He gives us these examples because it's showing us the kind of thing I believe we should be walking in and the kind of God we serve and how big He is, how powerful He is. Amen? 
And I know you will believe that. But you know, I don't, I, 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 someone says, well, I've never seen a miracle. And my response to that is, I don't need to see a miracle to believe in miracles, but because I believe in miracles, I will see miracles. Did you catch that? I don't, need to be, I don't need to see a miracle to believe in miracles, but because I believe in miracles, I will see a miracle. And I'm expecting God to manifest. Well, in, the, in, these, in these meetings here in Warrington, we've, we've done a lot of teaching on various things. Go to, go to the book, go to John, John chapter 10. And um, we spent a lot of time looking at just the miraculous in general. We've talked about the miraculous in context of some things with healing and the physical body and what God is capable of doing. How many, how many, of, you, how many of you are convinced that, that, that Christians and believers are experiencing all that God has for them, even in the realm of healing of their physical bodies? I, I, I don't, I, a lot of times they're not. There's a lot of Christians that are not experiencing the fullness of what they could be experiencing and receiving. And so we need to develop more in this area and get a hold of what the Word says. And last time we talked about some things in the area of provision and the power of God to provide, and, and the, particularly the miraculous and how we see God, the kind of things. There's more than one multiplication miracle in the Bible. There's more than one manifestation where God moved in a way to provide water into wine, feeding the 5,000, and all kinds of things like that. But I want to look at another, another aspect of this today, and, and I, I believe this will stir us up in some things. So everyone at John 10. John 10. John 10. In fact, John 10, most of us will know some of the verses out of John 10 because it's the one where it talks about the thief comes not to kill, steal, and destroy. It's in that chapter, yeah? But I've come that you may have life. And Jesus talks a lot about the shepherd and the sheep in this chapter. Uh, and I think it's the chapter where he says, I am the shepherd, and, you know, and different things. He talks about us as the sheep. But after that, let's, let's start in verse 27. John 10, verse 27 says this, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Is that true? Someone says, I, I, well, I can't hear the voice of God. Well, no, 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 no. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. What are you going to live by? Your own experience? Are you going to believe the word? The word says, I, I, know the, I know his voice. I know what he's saying. So we need to begin to begin to thank God. I, 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 can, I know, and I, can, and I am led by the Spirit of God, and he does lead me. Verse 28, and I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. Oh, that's, that is, yeah, that, that's the kind of response you want to, when he says things like that. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. Is there anyone that can take you out of his hand? Can, can the enemy just arrive and just take you out of his hand because the enemy is so big and powerful? No? You know, the only way you're going to get out of his hand is, is, is by your own, but if you choose to get out of his hand. But no one can take you out of his hand. No, no, no outside force, no outside influence. There is no one, no spirit being, nothing in this universe, nothing in the realm of the spirit big enough or powerful enough to take you out of his hand. Because his hand can hold on to anything he puts his hand on. <laughs> That's really good news, isn't it? So, so Jesus is beginning to give, as, as he's been talking about the sheep, and he starts to talk about no one can, neither can anyone snatch you out of my hand. Now, let's look where he goes from that. Verse 29, my father, 
my father. Somewhere along the line, I'm going to do some teaching on the character of God. I haven't quite decided where, but we need to. But uh, it's something I've spent, done a lot of teaching of. But you know what? We've lost the comprehension in church about what it means to call God Father. It's become a spiritual term because we're so used to talking about him as Father. But the reality of the intimacy has still been lost by a lot of people. Do you know that if you really knew God as your father, you would never question his desire to answer your prayers and to come through for you and to heal you? What, how many of you are parents here? How many of you love, and I mean love, enjoy, brings a smile to your face? Don't say yes yet. I haven't finished my question. <laughs> You might want to hear the rest of the question before. <laughs> you, you, you love. Yeah, you're a parent. But how many of you love and enjoy and it makes you smile when you see your kids suffering and hurting? There we go. Now the no comes. How many, how many of you, when your kids are sick, you sit there going, yes! And you go to your kid and you say, my kid, this sickness is to show you how wonderful I am as a father. This will teach you to honor me in this house. How many of you would do that to your kids? So we're not going to take you to the doctor. We're going to make you suffer in your bedroom. And you must suffer and suffer and suffer until... The humility rises in you that you can crawl into, our, into the living room on your hands and knees before me and go, oh, parent, please take me to the doctor. And then we will know you're a humble child. And yet we accuse God of doing that. Why? We don't know our father. We don't know our father. We have become cold and hardened to the reality of the Father God. For God so loved the world. What motivated him to send Jesus? But what was what what love? The love of a father. How many of you, how many of you who, who have been parents, how many of your kids have ever been sick? Has there ever been a point that your kids have been so sick that you looked at them and you thought, I wish I could take that? Natural parents. If, just about all of you said yes. Natural parents, you, especially if your child is in a really bad condition, your heart cries out to them and goes, I wish I could swap places with them. Do you think you got that desire from the devil? Do you think the devil and darkness put that desire inside of you? Or do you think that is a reflection of the father nature, the father-mother nature put in us as the image of God as how he created us to be? And the Bible says, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, so much more your heavenly father will give to his. Now, that desire for you to swap places with your child, how many of you could actually do that? If your child's got cancer, how many of you got the power to swap and, and take the cancer and swap places with him? None of us do. Here's the amazing thing. He did. What do you think motivated him to trade places with you? That's a father yeah. right there. He said, I will take that sickness upon me. 
so you can be healed. And then there's people that turn around and say, oh, no, 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 no. He didn't do this. He didn't do that. I'm sorry, you don't understand the Father. You don't understand even the shepherd. You do not understand the character of God. And what really motivates and drives him and what the love of the Father is. And this is not my topic, but that, that we, we, I gave you that extra. Because when we, do, when we do comprehend the Father and the intimacy, you'll never wonder, what, is he going to come through for me? How many of you would work two jobs, 80 hours a week, just to make sure your kids have food on the table? Yeah. How many of you would, would work for decades to make sure your kids start their life off better than you did. And we think we're better than God. We don't think he would do that kind of stuff for us. We don't know the father, that's why. He's become a distant, cold God again in our views. Just like the Pharisees and the religious community, when Jesus came in and he introduced a father to him, they got so offended because he talked about God on terms like that. They were offended. One of the reasons they wanted to kill him was because he called God father. It was foreign to them. It was no, there was no comprehension to them at that time. They were highly offended at that kind of terminology in the intimacy. And the intimacy is something, the, 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 yes, there's the intimacy of relationship, but there's also the nature and the character of the father and who he is and what he'll do. Does he enjoy? How many of you, how many of you, <laughs> you want to teach your kids? You know, we want our te kids to learn and grow, don't we? How do you teach your kids? Well, let me ask you this. Is this, is this a good way to teach a child? Do you, do you take your child and, and you say to your child, I want to teach you humility and, and all these kind of things, but I also want to teach you to, to not put your hand on burning stoves. So bring your hand here, and you grab their hand and put the stove on hot, and you force their hand down onto the stove while the child's screaming in agony. And you hold it there, smiling, go, are you learning the lesson? Come on, I love this. I'm, are you learning? Yeah. Is that how you teach a child? How dare we say God teaches his kids like that? What kind of warped, twisted, sadistic, cold God do we actually think we serve? And we think it's okay to present him like that and to preach him like that. We don't know one of the biggest revelations of the New Testament, which is the Father. You know what? The disciples came to Jesus one day and they said, show us the Father. How many of you in John 14? They didn't say, show us God. Go read it. It says, show us the Father. They'd heard about God their whole lives in the synagogue. But when they looked at Jesus and he talked Father, 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 they noticed something different in his comprehension of the God that they had heard about all their lives. And they wanted and they said, we want to see this Father that you talk about. And Jesus said, if you've seen me, not just you've seen God, he said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And then he pointed at his works my works and my words. What was it that motivated Jesus to heal those people? He said, you see the nature of the Father in setting them free and healing those blind and opening the eyes and the woman with the issue of blood and all the others. That's the nature of the Father, his character being revealed. Yeah. Amen? Anyway, I got stuck there on that. But this is important stuff. We really need a comprehension of who our Father is because then you, you'll never sit there and wonder, is he going to do it? Is he going to do it? Just, just ask yourself, if you're a parent, would I do it for my kids? 
What makes us think we're better parents than him? We put people in prison for things we claim God does to his kids. Child abuse. And we put them in prison, don't we? And, you, and, and we know that's not how you cheat, treat a child. And yet we, 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 we you know, we would quite happily, some, some person abusing their kids, treating them wrong, you know, doing something wrong, and we would cry, oh, we would lecture them, you know, oh, that's awful what they did, and we saw it on the TV, and look at what they, they go to prison, they should. We'll walk straight into the church, right after doing that about a human being, and immediately start talking about how our fathers, oh, he's teaching us humility through all these things, and he's making us suffer, and he's like, what goes wrong in the mind? How do we switch like that from how we view a natural parent would function and how we would view as our heavenly father would function? And, and what level do we think that's okay? Does it make sense? Yes. What I'm saying? Anyway, we got stuck on my father. But, well, hey, that's a good place to get stuck. My father, who has given them to me. This is where I'm trying to get is greater, is greater, is greater. Is my father greater? My father is greater. Greater than, than some things? Greater than a few things? Greater than half the demons in hell, but not all of them put together. <laughs> He's greater than? All. Why am I repeating this? Because just because we know something doesn't mean the reality of it always is hitting home. And it's, a, it's good to meditate upon the word. My father is greater. He is greater than all. Do you realize greater, the word greater is a comparison word. If, if we call God almighty God, there's no real comparison in that. It's a declaration of how big and powerful he is. He's almighty. But if you say he's greater... You, greater than what? There's a comparison that he's greater than something. Well, he is greater than everything, definitely. He is. But you see, this is an area we can walk in a greater revelation of because he's greater. What, is it, what does it mean that he's greater? What does it mean? Is, is there anything bigger than him? Is there anything more powerful than him? Is there anything that can overpower him? No, there isn't. And there's other verses as well. He, I'll read these to you. You don't have to look at these. But Hebrews chapter 6, verse 13 says, For when God made a promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself. That's two scriptures. He, he, he's greater. My father is greater. That's Jesus saying it. And the writer of Hebrews saying, because he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself. What did John say in 1 John? 1 John chapter 4. He said this, I'll just read this one for you. First of all, you are of God, little children. Little who? My father? Well, if we, this, is, this is bringing in, the, 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 he's talking to the children. Who are the father's children? You are of God, little children, and have overcome them. Who's them? The world. Overcome the world? And even in, in context here, he's just been talking about different spirits. Demon spirits, spirits of deception. You've overcome them. Why? Why have you overcome them? Because you're wonderful? 
Well, God loves us and he thinks we're wonderful, but it doesn't mean it needs to go to our head. We can be humble about that. But, you know, but, but why? Because he who is in you is what? Is greater than he who is in the world. Well, he, who is he who is in the world? Who's greater? There's a comparison here, isn't there? Who's greater? Who's more powerful? And because he is, because our Father is greater, you see, it says there, you have overcome them because. In other words, this is the reason you overcome, because he is greater. What's that verse telling you? It says, you overcome because he's greater. Are you seeing this? His greatness, he uses it for his kids. He uses it in our lives. He says, my little children, you have overcome. Why? Because he's greater. Is he just, is he just interested in sitting up in heaven, enjoying how great he is? No. He uses that greatness. And that greatness backs us up. That greatness of God, the greater one. He's put it on the inside of us to work through us, to operate through us, to do things through us. Many Christians are not walking in this as much as they could. They're not experiencing this. How do I know? <clears throat> well, look at how many Christians are afraid of what the enemy's doing. Look at how many Christians are concerned. They're, they're afraid. How many Christians, oh, you know, this, this is a hard area. You know, there's been witchcraft in this area. So what? So what? Are you telling me witchcraft can shut down God? Oh, you don't know what happened in this area. Go back all the way in history. They used to do this, this, that, and the other. It's a hard area. Anyone ever heard Christians talk like that? What are they saying? I have more confidence in the power of the enemy than I do in the power of my God. Christians talk about how big their problem is. They exalt their problem. Sometimes, I didn't, I didn't come up with this illustration. Another minister did, but it's worth stealing. It's good. Sometimes, sometimes you, you, you know, you, you would think some Christians, by the way they talk, this is, this is how, what they're actually, do you know that when you big something up and you talk and you boast about it and you talk about how big it is and how difficult it is, you know that's a form of praise. Yeah. Praise is to boast. We come to church and we praise our God and we spend the rest of the week praising the size of our problems and our challenges. And you might as well be singing to your challenges and half the time to the enemy, great and mighty are you, great and mighty are you. You're going to defeat me. You're going to beat me. Great and mighty are you. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> and you can see in Christians' responses because they come running. You know, a problem breaks out and they, help, help everyone. The devil's after me. Anyone ever had a Christian say that? Help, the devil's after me. Like, well, hey, it's good to stand together. We can help each other. But what about the greater one inside of you? You have no confidence on the greater one on the inside of you because you're afraid about the enemies after you. The enemy's managed to convince us he's greater in reality. Now, we'll talk the almighty God, but we'll act like the enemy's greater half the time. 
And we're intimidated by what the enemy can do and his power and, and his ability to destroy and harm and damage. <coughs> but he's greater. What power backs us up? Let's go to Matthew 16. Some of these it's the scriptures you know, but I, I felt we needed to launch off with these today because this is, this is part of why Christians need, and, and we're talking about the power of God, this is why Christians need a comprehension of the power and the greatness and the almightiness of God and who He is and what He's capable of and what He can do. But not only that, it's not just about Him up in heaven being great. What did He say? You have overcome them. Why? Because he who is greater is in you. His greatness benefits. He uses it for his kids to put us over. That's what he said. You've overcome because greater is he that's in you. Greater is he that's in you. What about Matthew 16? We've, we've, we've heard this before. Verse 16. Simon Peter. Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ. Now, Jesus has just said, who do men say I am? Who do you say I am? And, and Peter speaks up and he says, you are the Christ. And I, I've covered this in previous, previous times. Christ is not Jesus' last name. Christ means you're the anointed one. And, and he, Peter had that revelation that, that Jesus was the one spoken of in the Old Testament, the coming one, the one that had the Spirit of the Lord upon him. And Peter was recognizing that anointing. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father. My who? Notice how, how much Jesus talked about his Father. Jesus had a revelation. It, was, it came out all the time when he talked, My Father, my Father, my Father. I think in so many... In, I don't know. I, I just... I, this is just, just a sudden thought right now, but it just, I just realized how little Christians use the term Father anymore. They just, we, we've gone back to just God, 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 God. And He is God. I'm not saying He's not. But it's like that's slipped a bit out of our language. We don't really talk about my Father. You look at people like John and, and the way he wrote, and he, he uses the intimacy of the terminology and my little children and we are children of God. Even the concept of we're children of God has lost its meaning. It's just become a cold phrase because we lost the concept of family in the, in, in the things of God. Is it just me that thinks that? But anyway, so that was just it. Um, so I thought, but my father who's in heaven, and I also say to you that you are Peter. And on this rock, now, there's been confusion in the church. Peter's name, Petros, when Jesus said, on this rock, people think that the, that the rock is Peter. Actually, Jesus is using a teaching technique in how he talks here. And he, it's a play on words because the, the, the word rock is, I think it's Petra. And the, word, the name Peter is Petros, one of the two. Peter's Petros, rock is Petra. And he, he used to play on words. He's not saying Peter's the rock, but he's playing on the words to highlight. He did this many times. Okay. The, the, anyone ever heard the phrase where it says, you strain out a gnat that, and swallow a camel? In English, it doesn't come across. If you go to the original word, you'll find out, in the original language, you'll find out there's a play on words. There's two similar words there, the gnat and the camel. One is something like gamaliel and one is them gamaliel or something, I don't know, whatever. They're very similar. There's one letter difference in them. And he's using a play on words in order to, 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 to drive home a point. 
Do you know, do you know Jesus used figures of speech in different things? He used gr- grammatical language. And this is what he's doing here. He's not, he's not saying Peter's the rock. He, he plays on words using Peter's name. What, 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 what is the rock that he's referring to here? <clears throat> in this passage, on, on this rock, I will build my church. Okay, he is the rock, but in this passage, he's not referring to himself as the rock. Look at it. I, and I say, verse 16, I say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock, I. If he was referring to himself, he would have said, and on me, I will build the church. The revelation of who he is as the Christ is the rock he's referring to in this passage. It's the, it's the fact, it's, it's something that, it's not just natural understanding, but it's that revelation of the Christ and the anointed one. That's why I'm, even in Southport, we're talking on some things about the anointing. Church has not really got, a, we're not walking in a lot of things about the anointing and the, the power of the Spirit of the Lord upon us. We've lost a lot of this revelation. The enemy's done a lot of work to confuse the church about the Holy Spirit. Why? Look at what he says next. On this rock, I will build my church and. Does he finish there? On this rock, I'll build my church? And. Shall not prevail against it. What's it there? It is the church he's just referred to. Which church? Okay, technically, yes, but in the context of what he said, which church? The church that's built on the rock of the revelation of the understanding of the Christ. What if that revelation's taken away? What if that foundation's not being taught? What if people don't have that one and they're not walking in that? Is that going to be a church that's walking and overcoming and prevailing against the enemy? I have to, personally, I think no. You can decide on that one for yourself. These are fra- Do you know the word and as a con- conjunction? It joins things together. When you say this and this, on this rock, the rock of the revelation of the Christ, the Spirit of the Lord upon, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. It's not just take that one phrase, the gates of hell will not prevail, and you've got a church that doesn't even understand the things of the Spirit of God and the anointing. There's no comprehension of the Christ and the power of the anointing of God going on there. Half the time, those are the churches where people are just being defeated all the time. Huh? So this is why it's so important that we understand some things about the Holy Spirit and walk in and really grasp this. When Jesus said, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And, the whole, and he talks about the Spirit of God's going to live on the inside of you. We got, this, is, this is not a side issue. This is a vital issue. It's central to why things happened the way they did in the book of Acts. They preached in the book of Acts. They preached the resurrection, and they also preached the Christ. You go and look at some things. You'll find places. He preached Christ to them. What does that mean? He preached Jesus? Well, to a degree, yes, because Jesus is the Christ. But he doesn't say he preached Jesus. He says he preached the Christ. What did he preach? The Christ is the anointed one, the one that the Spirit of the Lord is upon, and the, the anointing breaks the yoke because of that anointing. If we're not preaching that, very often we're, we're, we're missing the message a little bit. Go study Acts and look at, 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 at that. It's worth noting. 
But anyway, let's pick up on this phrase. I'll build my church and the gates of Hades. What, what, what's Hades? Hell. Hell. I don't know. Sometimes I should say, I'll say it. You know, we have this comprehension. I think it's Hollywood and myth and, and ideas that have come from other religions and filtered into Christianity. We have this idea of the enemy being this great lord of hell. Like he's the ruler of hell. I correct me if I'm wrong. I can't find any scriptures which say he's the ruler of hell. I find scriptures which show hell as his prison. Where'd this idea he's the ruler of hell come from? Who do you think put that in the who do you think wants us to believe he's some kind of powerful ruler? <laughs> he's not the he might be the prince of darkness, but, but, but that's because the realm of darkness, but he's not the Lord of Hell. The hell hell's his prison. He gets thrown in there too. <laughs> anyway, that's another thought. But the gates of Hades, the gates of hell, shall not do what? Prevail. Prevail. What's prevail? What is that talking about? That, that, that word prevail, it means to be superior in strength. The gates of hell will not be superior in strength to what? The church, especially the church walking in the revelation and understanding of the Christ, that's built on the solid rock. Jesus said this before the church even existed. This is, does this give you the idea he wanted a church that was going to be defeated? <coughs> does this give you the idea that it was his intention to have a church that was walked all over by the enemy? No, it's not. That word it, it, prevail means to be superior in strength or overcome, to prevail against. Hell, the enemy, darkness cannot prevail against the church when it's walking the way it should be walking in the things of God. Cannot, shall not prevail against the church. Why? My father's greater. My father's greater. How many of you, we've heard these scriptures before, but what did I say at the start of today? We need to get stirred on some things again. Yeah. Is there any reason to be afraid or intimidated? Is there any reason to be scared? You know, people are, oh, you know, the witches, oh, oh, oh you know, this, oh, this, the, the, this heart in this area. What are we, again, we're exalting the power of the enemy. You know, you know, one of the reasons they shook cities in the book of Acts, because when they went in, they walked in the anointing. They were the anointed like he was anointed. They carried that anointing, and that anointing shook that city and broke things over that place. And the, and the, the, the power of the enemy didn't stand a chance. What, what are we told? I'll read these to you. You don't have to look at these. Revelation, what are we told in Revelation chapter 12? And war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought. The enemy has always thought he could figure out a way to overcome God. He's always tried. If anyone does not understand how powerful God is, I think it's the enemy. He walked right in the things of God. But he does, there's some things he doesn't have revelation of. He's become blinded to some things. His own deception has blinded him. He, he, he would know there's no way he can overcome God. Somehow he thinks he can. And he's, off, he's always tried. 
But then what did it say? War broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels. Verse 8. And they did not prevail. Who did not prevail? The enemy. Nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. That means they did not have the power to win. That's what the word means. They didn't prevail. They didn't have the power to win. Does the enemy have the power to win? Does he have the power to win in your life? Can the enemy just walk in and take over? Now, a lot of Christians say, well, it seems like he does a lot of the time. What part of it is because we're not walking in the revelation. It's connected. We're not walking in a lot of the revelation that he's given us. And, and again, I've said this before. There's a, lot of, there's a lot of power in deception. And in fact, psychological warfare is a form of warfare. You, be, you break, get your, I mean, we've, we're seeing it at the moment. Everyone's talking about fake news, this, fake news, this, propaganda, this. You know, you're, you're like, half the time you're like, I don't know, sometimes I don't know which one to believe anymore. You know, who's, who's doing the propaganda? Who's doing the real thing? You know, you get set in the middle. Okay? But, but the power of information and the power of presenting false information is something that has been talked about a lot in recent years. Who do you think is the master of false information? Who's the, the, the ultimate in knowing how to present false information and get people to believe wrong information? And ultimately, yes, the devil wants to deceive the world because he doesn't want them to receive Jesus, but who's his greatest threat on the planet? We are. So who, is, who does it make the most sense to him to get us to, 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 to believe false things? Talk about fake news. I'm not just talking about yesterday's news. I'm talking about real fake information coming from the master deceiver himself, causing us to believe lies and incorrect things that, 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 that there's nothing we can do. We're not big enough. Oh, this challenge is bigger than me. Getting us to believe things. Why does God give us his word? Because in the word is the light of truth. And he says, you'll know the truth. The truth will set you free. The truth will bring the light to your heart and will help you to get a hold of and grasp the fact who really is the greater one. He's the greater one. Who has the greater one on the inside? <laughs> and why is he inside of us? Yeah, he's inside of us, for, you know, because he said it. But what did 1 John say? My little children, greater is he that is in you Sorry, you have, we have overcome them because greater is he. Why is the greater one on the inside of me? He enables me. That greatness enables me to overcome. Uh, overcome what? Overcome the world? Overcome, overcome, overcome any attack of the enemy. Overcome anything that he's got. Overcome any, any opposition he wants to bring into your life. Do we have to be afraid of and intimidated by what the devil can do? If we're afraid of and intimidated by the devil and what he can do, it's because we are not walking in the revelation of who's inside of us and his power. He's greater. Is he greater than cancer? Is he greater than any illness? 
Is he greater than any challenge? Is he greater than any attack of the enemy? What happens when we're, we're under attack? What happens when the enemy tries to rise up and attack us? Well, with his attack comes his lies and deception because he wants you to start believing his attack is going to win. What are we supposed to do? Stand on the word. Get a hold of the word. Begin to say, you know, the greater one's on the inside of me. I have power on the inside of me. I have the greater one. I'm not exalting me. I'm exalting him. He's in me. I'm talking about my greatness on the inside. But his great, he has placed the, himself, the greater one on the inside of me, to enable me to overcome. And if I understand and walk in and grasp the level of that power, that's why we're talking about the power of God, that creative power that created the universe. Where, where's that power? <laughs> oh, yeah. That power. That split the Red Sea. Where's that power? In me. Are you sure? Is it really in you? Is it in there to be just kept on the inside of you so that you can say, oh, isn't it wonderful? We've got the power of God on the inside of us, but nothing's ever going to come out when we need it. No, it's not, it's not there to just hide away in a box. Does God do things with no purpose? I mean, Jesus is the one who said, don't put your light under a bushel. Don't hide it. If I put a light there, it's supposed to do something. What's the light supposed to do? Now, in that is an understanding with that same mentality. Think about this. Did he put the Holy Spirit on the inside of you just to hide on the inside of you? <laughs> He's not there just to be put under a bushel. The light himself on the inside of me. Oh, no, 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 no. You know, you never, you know. No, he's there to come out. And what does he do when he comes out? He's the greater one. He does things. He does things. <laughs> and what happens? Will the gates of hell prevail? Is there anything the enemy can do that's bigger than God? Is, is there any time? Can you point to me at scripture? Can you point to me any time the enemy has beaten God? It doesn't exist. Not once. He has never, ever beaten God. He's the ultimate deceived being because he still thinks he can. Like I, said, I think I said this last time. I personally believe it's one of the reasons he wants to come as a man. He wants to try to beat God. What he's never done as, a, as, as an angelic being, he thinks he can do with man because he recognizes the authority that God's invested in man and made in the image of God. That's why he spent so long trying to figure out how to become one of us. Started with demon possession and different things like that. But we know ultimately where it's going to lead in the book of Revelation. He's trying to become one of us. Why? What does it lead to? Is it because he just wants to cause problems for us on the planet? No, it leads to a showdown with the armies of heaven. But who wins that one? Even then, he can't win. <laughs> God's already seen the end from the beginning. He knows it all. Why? Because the enemy cannot win. What did I just say? Cannot. What about in your life? What about in the challenge you're facing? The enemy cannot win. Cannot win. Why? Because greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And we have overcome because 
greater is he that is in me. The same one the enemy has encountered and has never beaten lives in me. Oh, yeah. See, it's why sometimes you've got to dwell on something. A lot of us know, oh, the Lord's in me. Isn't that sweet? Oh, yeah, he's in you too. Oh, yes. Okay, let's go have a coffee. Get the revelation of what's going on here. What is, what, 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 he's put the greater one inside of me. What do you think people like Smith Wigglesworth said? I'm a thousand times bigger on the inside than on the outside. And even that's an underestimate. He got a revelation. I must be massive on the inside to have someone so big living inside of me. <laughs> so big and so powerful. And nothing can take me out of his hand. What a place of security and stability and strength. Do I need to be afraid? Do I need to fear? What, the, what does the Bible say? We read Revelation, talks about Michael and his angels. They overcame. What does it say about us in Revelation? They, they overcame. Who? We overcame the enemy. How? By the blood of the Lamb, by the word of our testimony. But what does it say? We overcome. We overcome. I saw years ago, someone, paint, someone drew a little picture of a tank. and It was a little sketch. And, and, and there was these kind of gates. And at first I thought, oh, the gates of hell. But underneath it said, storming the gates of heaven. I looked at that and said, why are you storming gates that are open to you? You've got access to those ones. <laughs> you don't need it. There are too many Christians trying to drive a tank through the gates of heaven because they think we've got to bang those down. This is where the enemy's got us thinking wrong. God's given us access. He said, come boldly to the throne room. You have access. But he said, those gates over there, they ain't prevailing against you. Those are the gates of Hades. Those are the gates of the enemy. Those are the gates of darkness. On what, where, and in what universe, and in what realm is darkness more powerful than light? If, we, if it was dark in here, there's no light coming through the windows. Pitch black, yeah? And someone walked in and put one of the lights on. How quick does that light move the darkness? I don't know about you, but I've never walked into a room and you flick a light on and you see this battle going on between light and darkness. And darkness is like, we ain't leaving this room and it's pushing back. And you see that going toward the light and you're sitting there going, we need light, please spread, please spread, we need light. Someone help us, someone pray for us. Light, please spread. And the, and the darkness is pushing back and, and finally going all the way onto the light bulb and it's getting darker. And you're like, I can hardly see the light bulb anymore. The darkness is winning. That's what we think with the things of God. He used light and darkness for a reason because light obliterates darkness like that. You put light in a place, darkness gone. You say, oh, there's demon spirits there. We'll put some light in the place. We'll look at some examples in Acts, probably in my next session as well. But we've got, to be, we've got to get stirred up about some of these things. We've got to get, allow these truths. Is there any situation that can beat the children of God? Why? Because he's greater. He's great. In fact, let me just, in closing, go, go, to, go to two places. Go to Philippians 3. 
Is there any pressure? Is there any attack? Christians are like, oh, we're under attack, help! I mean, like, seriously, guys? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, with all the war going on on TV, it's like, you know, it's like, what kind of army, when an enemy attacks, you see them all running down, running toward the back, like, oh, the enemy, the enemy, the enemy! I'm like, that's why you were put there, you army! You put there to stand in front of the enemy, not run from the enemy. <laughs> what kind of army, the moment the enemy arrives, runs, goes tearing down the street, running away in the opposite direction. Oh, help! Someone help us! I'm like, you're the soldiers! You're supposed to be helping us! We, we're the soldiers, we're the army of the Lord. What are we supposed to do in the face of the enemy? We're supposed to be run, run down the street and stark terror? Bible says, resist the devil. He will flee from you. And I think one, the, one of the meanings of that word flee means he'll run in stark terror of you. Why? He comes up against a solid wall of the greater one on the inside of me. And the revelation that I've got of the Christ, the anointing, abiding on the inside of me, coming upon me, I'm walking in the anointing, you become a brick wall the enemy cannot smash through. How do you beat someone like that? Actually, you do. You deceive them and trick them into thinking wrong. What I covered just now. Because can he actually beat us and stop us if we have the revelation? No. He has to get us to think he can. And get us to yield and get us to back down and get us to get, get afraid. And for us to, oh, the word, I tried the word, it's not working. He said, no, that's my sword. That's my shield. I've got them in my hand. Nothing's, I ain't moving. And I dig my heel on the ground. I have the greater one on the inside of me. He causes me to overcome. That's the attitude we should have. Where did I say go? Philippians 3? Philippians 3. Verse 10. We'll just grab this one. It's Paul writing. He says, that I may know him. Anyone ever heard this verse before? That I may know. Paul cries out, I want to know him. And that's good, but is that all he said? That I may know him and, there's your conjunction again, there's more than one thing here, that I may know him and, what? The power of his resurrection. How many of you think the Apostle Paul would be a good example to follow? I mean, how many of you think Paul knew a few things? <laughs> Did he have a bit of revelation? I think he understood some things. You know, the examples, I mean, you know, Jesus, the, the teachings of Jesus, what Peter wrote, what John wrote, what Paul wrote, it's pre some pretty good stuff to follow in the New Testament. Any modern preacher know more about any of them in the Bible? I've heard preachers, oh, you shouldn't, you shouldn't pursue the power of God so much. I'm like, sorry, what did Paul say? He cried out, I want to know. The power of the resurrection, right next to that I may know him. He said, oh, you should just, just seek him. Don't seek the power. Who do you think is trying to get us thinking wrong? Who do you think is afraid of us getting a revelation of the power? Who wants us to not talk about the power? Who wants us to not think about the power? Now I'm going to preach, keep preaching bold about the power. If you look at Paul, it was one of his big Prayers for his own life and for other people. Yes. 
that they understand the power of the resurrection. And in fact, I'll say this briefly. You think what God did at the creation of the universe was impressive. The resurrection was the greatest display of God's power that's ever happened. The resurrection of Jesus. It was bigger than creating the universe. But at the resurrection of Jesus, I like to say it this way, God flexed his muscles and he showed the devil who's boss. He said, I want, let me show you what I can do. See, the devil didn't think that could happen. And then the redemption of all of humanity, but the release of God's power, Ephesians talks about, he talks about the power that was demonstrated at the resurrection. And that's why, in fact, let's go there. Let's go to Ephesians. Paul wanted, he cried out, I want to know. And Philippians, again, correct me if I'm wrong, he didn't write this when he was a junior minister at the church, was he? Philippians wasn't one of his first books. How long has he been a Christian when he writes Philippians? Decades? He's been an apostle. He's been out there. He's been in ministries, senior and all kinds of things. He's, this, this, even at this stage, years into his ministry, he's still crying out that I may know him and that I may know the power of the resurrection. Is that important? Yes. Is this something we should just read? Oh, that's a nice thing and then forget about it. Or should we, do we should make this a lifelong pursuit? To know and understand the power of the resurrection. Look what he says in Ephesians. And then we'll close this session anyway. Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 16, he's, he's talking about his prayers, that I do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. And then in the next verse, he starts to tell you what he's praying for, yeah? I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, uh, and, then, and, and then he begins to pray that, 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 that there's certain things that the eyes of our understanding that we'll get wisdom and revelation about. Is he praying that there'll be some revelation? What, what, in other words, our eyes will go, will get open to some truths. I'm not talking about necessarily new revelation that's never been revealed, but getting a revelation of what's already been revealed in the Word. What did Jesus say? Upon this rock, which rock? Rock of revelation. What's, what is revelation going to do to you when it, if you start to build your life when it becomes a rock and a solid foundation? And there are certain revelations you need to be solid and grounded in. Otherwise, the enemy will walk all over you. The revelation of the Christ is one of them. Upon this rock, I'll build my church. Well, there's, there's some things Paul prayed. Open their eyes, give them revelation, help them understand this. Do you think it's important what he says to pray for? Well, what does he say? Look at verse 19. He lists off a couple of things. Some things about our inheritance, some things about the hope of his calling. But the third thing he lists in verse 19 that our eyes would be open to and that we'll receive revelation is, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power? The exceeding what? Greatness. Who's the greater one? He's the greater. He wants you to know and get a revelation of the greatness of his power. Where's that power? The greater one in me. Why does he want you to get a revelation of the greatness of the power that's in you? Is it so that we can then put it under a chair and hide it away and say, oh, isn't that sweet? Or is it because there's something that that power is supposed to be doing? It's overcoming power. It's prevailing power. It's power the enemy cannot stop 
It's power that we need to be walking in and understand the revelation of. It's power the enemy's so afraid of, he has tried everything he can to get the church to not teach and talk about this. And to, and to back off it. But Paul prays here, he said, you need this. You need this revelation. What is the exceeding greatness of his power? That word exceeding, this is why this, I'm going to explain to you very quickly in about two minutes why I say this is the, the resurrection is the greatest display of God's power ever. It's bigger than the creation of the universe. That word exceeding means it, it, it's hyperbole, or hyper, it's probably where we get the word hyperbole from. It's hyperbulo or whatever in the Greek. But it means to throw beyond the usual mark. Yeah. Now, there's power where you've really turned, turned the power dial up. Exceeding. That word greatness is megathos. It's talking about magnitude and size. In other words, the, that word exceeding greatness is talking about power that is being turned up way beyond its normal size. That's what that exceeding greatness means. The exceeding greatness of his power, that's dunamis, miraculous power. Verse 19, what is the exceeding greatness of his power? The power that was turned way up beyond the normal. What about that power that is, does he then say? Toward us who believe. There's a, he brings us into some things about his power. He wants us walking in this. According to the, now he, now he wants to tell you what power he's talking about. What is this exceeding? Where was this power turned up way beyond the normal? According to the working of his mighty power, which he, and we could look into all of these words. It's talking about a demonstration, a visible display of power, these words in the original Greek. Which, verse 20, which he worked, worked means to, to, to put in motion, to, 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 it became active, power that's active. Which he worked, where? In Christ, when? When he raised him from the dead. That's the resurrection. He said he turned the power right up. And he released an incredible display of power at the resurrection of Jesus. The greatest release of the power of God ever, ever recorded. And then Paul prayed out that I may know the power of his resurrection. Paul wanted to understand that release. He wanted to get a hold of it. He wanted to grasp it. He wanted to walk in it. He wanted to understand it and begin to realize, where's that power? It's in me. Paul talked about the power that's working in me. And seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Was there anything the devil could do to stop the resurrection of Jesus? Was the devil... Did the devil even stand a chance? I mean, you talk, the ultimate deceiver got tricked. God used, do you realize God used his own weapon against him? Yes. <laughs> and on two levels. He, God used a bit of psychological warfare as well as something else, and I'll mention in a minute. He let the devil think he was beating Jesus by killing him. 
That's why the Bible says, had any of them known what was going to happen, they would never have killed Jesus. So the devil, God used his own trick on the devil. The devil gets people to think the wrong thing. God let them think the wrong thing. We're going to beat him. We're going to beat him. We're going to kill him. But God took that death. Death is the devil's biggest weapon. God took the devil's biggest weapon, which the devil fired at God. God grabbed it, turned it around, threw it straight back at him, and beats him with his own weapon. Through the resurrection. That's the wisdom of God. (laughs) That's my God. That's my Father. He said, now you see how powerful I am. Now you see that display of the resurrection. And then he said, I'm going to put that power in you. Why? So that the devil can walk all over us and beat us? No. No. So that we can run in panic when we see the end. Oh, the enemy's attacking. The enemy's attacking. Help, help, help. No. So that we can know the power of the resurrection and begin to realize that the, upon this rock, I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. I have the greater one on the inside of me. There is nothing bigger. There is nothing that can beat me. There is nothing that can overcome. No force or power or attack of the enemy is even closely big enough to overcome the power of the resurrection that's on the inside of me. So we need to get a hold of it. Pray, Father God, help me and understand this. Stick on this. Say, just like Paul did, his whole life he stayed on this. He stuck with this truth and I want to know this. I want to understand this. Why? Because he realized I need to be walking in this. The enemy has tried to get the church off this. I know I'm taking a bit of extra time, but let me, let, let me, I'm going to say one more thing. You can take a bit of extra time and shorten my last one. It's fine. <laughs> the enemy has tried to get the church off this. He doesn't want us to see this. To the degree that we don't even really preach the resurrection very much. We preach the death. We don't preach the resurrection much. <clears throat> we know it happened. We've celebrated once a year. How does faith come? By hearing the word. If you want a lot of faith in the death of Jesus, preach the death of Jesus. If you want a lot of faith in the resurrection of Jesus, preach. Are you going to get faith in the resurrection by preaching his death? <laughs> no. You're going to preach what you want the faith in. Do you know, go and read the book of Acts. It doesn't say they went around and told everybody Jesus died. Most of them knew Jesus died. It says they preached the resurrection. And Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, if there's no resurrection, you're still dead in your sins. He does not say if there's no death of Jesus, you're still dead in your sins. Romans chapter 10 says, if you believe in your heart, God raised Jesus from the dead. doesn't say if you believe in your heart, Jesus died. In book Acts chapter 2, Peter preached the resurrection. 3,000 people get saved. We go out on the street... We tell everyone Jesus died. And we wonder why no one gets saved. Yeah. <laughs> Has the penny dropped? Yeah. The enemy's even got us not preaching the resurrection. Why? This power, the power of the resurrection, the power that was released at the resurrection. He doesn't want us to grasp it. 
Because actually, the resurrection is where there was the release of power. I've had people say to me, what's so wonderful about the death of Jesus? Lots of people have died. I'm like, yeah, not, not many have been raised. Yeah. There's, there's your difference. Yeah. <laughs> was there a big miracle in the death? No, there was an act of love in the death, yes. but there was a release of power at the resurrection yes. that raised him from the dead. And that same resurrection power raised me and raised you. We're united with Christ. We're raised with Christ into resurrection life. That was just a bit extra. But, 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 but you know, we wonder why I've been, I've been trying to evangelize my, 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 my neighbor and I keep telling him, you know, Jesus died for you. He loves you. Jesus died for you. One day you need to walk up to your neighbor and say, Jesus was raised from the dead. Yes. Oh, but you know, but they, they, that's going to be offensive. They're going to, you know, they, 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 you know I'm, they, maybe they don't believe in miracles. There's your problem. We've got to preach a release of power if you want a release of power in their life to receive Jesus. Does anyone see, see what I'm saying? Anyway, that's just a side thought. Let's have a break. And we'll come back for some more shortly. We'll grab a coffee.